Now we're going to continue our, our series. We just started last week. I'm excited about it, about having a healthy church and a strong church. And we're going to start this morning in Matthew chapter 4. So if you would turn there in Matthew chapter 4. Last week we talked about Jesus Christ being that chief cornerstone, right? And the rock of our salvation. And if we're going to have a healthy church, y'all, it has to be built upon Jesus. And we have to understand, y'all, that that uh, the church of Jesus Christ is not, I know you, you know this, it's not the building, and it's not the organization, and it's not the government, and the structure. It's not even necessarily the... Uh, you know, any, any of that type of thing, that the church is the body of Christ. And the Bible says that if we're born again, we're part of the body of Christ, and members in particular. There's one body with many members. And Jesus Christ is the head of, the, uh, head of His church. And if the head, you, you understand the head is where the life flows from the head, right? The life comes from the head. The thumb doesn't tell the head what to do. The kneecap doesn't tell what the head, the head what to do. The head gives the instruction, the order, the direction, the life. Everything comes from the head. And Jesus Christ is the head of His church. And if a church is going to be healthy, and that's what I said, it's not an organization, so it could be healthy or unhealthy, right? You wouldn't think of a, a building so much as being unhealthy, but you can think of a body as being unhealthy <coughs> or strong. And we want to have a healthy church. We want to have a church that is representative of the Lord. We want to have a church where His life is all in all. We want to have a church where Jesus Christ is the head and we let Him be the head. And we let Him be the Lord. And we let Him be the authority individually in our lives and in the church. And everything that affects you individually as a believer, your walk with God, is going to have some effect on the body of Christ. Would you agree? On this local church. So if you're prayerless and you're out or if you backslide and you're out in the sin or something like that, is it going to affect this church? Yes, it is. It's not going to stop us from going to heaven or living for God, but it is going to be uh, an injury to this body. It's going to be something that has to be fixed. It's going to have to be healed. And so, same for if you're, if you're rejoicing and something really good happens to Alberto, the Bible says we can all rejoice in that. Rejoice with those. That, even if you're going through something horrible, we can have joy for Alberto and what he's going through. Some blessing in his life. And so, it's a body and we're members, but we're, we're all under the same head. You don't have a different head than I do. It's Jesus Christ. Okay? And so, um, we're talking about having a healthy church and absolutely Jesus must be the foundation. We're built upon the foundation uh, of, of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Okay? And so, that's where we got the name of this church, Cornerstone Church. He is that, that foundation, the chief cornerstone, and all the building fits together in place as He sees fit and as He builds it. So it's not only you see the, the, uh, the foundation, He's also, we talked about it last week, the capstone. Okay, He is that finished stone that fits on the top, and it's all in Him. And on top of that, He is also the architect of His church. He said, upon this pr profession, upon this rock, I will build my church. I will build it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So He's the architect and the builder of His church. We are building blocks in that church, but the Bible says we're living stones. We're living stones put together into a habitation for God. 
a dwelling place for God. It kind of is hard to understand why would the Lord want to make His dwelling place with us, but He does. Individually in your life, the Holy Ghost lives inside of you, and corporately as His church, it's even a more complete representation of Christ and of His body. But it has to be founded upon Jesus Christ. We talked about the Leaning Tower of Pisa, P-I-S-A, not pizza. I might have had food on my mind last week, but it's pizza. And um, it it started to lean even before it was finished being built. 179-foot tower. And as it was being built, it already started to lean. Okay, And then the last I heard, they said it was 17 feet out of plumb, out of line. That's a long way. It's going to fall. The foundation was not good. The foundation was not nearly, nearly deep enough or prepared right for such a, a tower structure that was built. But Jesus Christ is the foundation of His church. And it's going to stand. Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. I love very definitive statements like that. And the Bible is full of, of statements like that. And you can just hang your hat on it, so to speak. You can put your period right there. And that's what it says. There's no other foundation that can be laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man build upon that foundation, the Bible says. And it goes on to describe wood, hay, or stubble, or gold, silver, precious stones. But still, the foundation has to be Christ. Well, I want us to read this in Matthew chapter 4. This encounter with Satan and our Lord after Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River to fulfill all righteousness and the Holy Spirit descended upon Him in the form of a dove. It says immediately uh, in verse chapter 4, verse 1, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit led Him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. That was a specific plan and purpose of Him being led there. And when he, was, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hung, hungered. He was hungry. He had a human body like ours. His body did get hungry. And when the tempter came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into, into the holy city and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. Saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And said unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. So we see right there, we know that's a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's one of the, one of the other Gospels as well. And it talks about this. And three times when Satan tempted him in three main areas... Okay, there's lots of temptations in life, but in these three main areas where he tempted him, in every situation, Jesus did what? We know it from here. He used the Word of God to defeat him. He used the Word of God to be his defense. He used the Word of God to, to clear it up, to put an end to it. In other words, he solved the problem. He put an end to the attack 
with the Word of God. It is an offensive weapon. It is the sword of the Spirit. Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. Three times the devil came to him, and even one of those times, he used the Scripture himself. Satan did. He misused it. Okay? And you could look it up, and I think it's Psalm 91. I'm not positive which Psalm it is, but... uh, he used the Word of God to defeat him. So if we are going to have a healthy church and Jesus Christ is the foundation, if Jesus knew and lived on this earth as a man of the Word, so to speak, not just some mystical thing, but really practically used the Word of God in his life, we need to as well. He said in Matthew 4, it is written, when the devil tempted him with something as simple as food. I've always thought about this. First of all, Satan says, if you be the Son of God. If you're the Son of God. Jesus was the Son of God. It wasn't a question. Don't put a question mark there. If you're the Son of God. Okay? He was the Son of God. And he said in turn, he was hungry. Forty days of not eating. He had a body like ours. He was hungry. Okay? Then turn these stones to bread and eat up. You know, you're the Son of God. You can do miracles. Do that. Jesus is not going to obey His adversary. He's going to obey His Father. He said, I'll only do the things I see my Father do. And I'll only say, only do the things I hear my Father saying. So there was a complete, complete Lordship of the Father and a complete submission on Jesus' part to the will of the Father. He was tuned in to His Father, listening for that voice, looking for His hand at work. And, and that was all he was going to obey. But he didn't turn the stones to bread. He said, man shall live by, not live by bread alone. Well, what shall a man live by then? He tells us, right? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that's what you're to live by. How can you live by words? You can live by words because he's the word. You can live by words because his word is life. He said this is... Uh, it's the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak unto you, their spirit and their life. Does that mean we don't eat physical food or get sleep or water and so forth? No, God provides all that. How do I know that He provides all that? Because His Word tells me that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, like we sang this morning. He provides all of these things. And so, if we are going to be a healthy church right here, if the Lord's going to have a healthy church, it's going to be a biblical church. It's going to be, and that's what we're talking about today, it's going to be a church of the Word. We don't worship the Word, that Word, the Bible. We don't worship the Bible, the written Word. We worship the Lord. But you, you can't separate the Lord Jesus Christ from His Word. You cannot. He doesn't want you to. He's so intertwined with His Word. And, and if we're going to be healthy and strong, we have to be doctrinally sound. Not boring. It's not pointless. It's not stupid. All this talk about doctrine and these different beliefs and all that. Be biblical. It's important. Be biblically sound. Doctrinally sound. And I'll just read this from Ephesians chapter 5. Speaking about the Lord. That He might sanctify and cleanse it. His church. How? With the washing of water by the Word. That he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. How is he going to do that? He's already got his church. And in one sense, we're sanctified to the Lord already, just being born again. But his whole church body, that would be Christ-like. The whole body, when you look at it, would be representative 
of Jesus Christ, who's holy and pure and sinless and loving. He's going to do it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. By the Word. And so you cannot overemphasize the Word of God. Again, we don't worship the Bible, the written Bible. I don't bow down before this. It could become an idol. But the Word of God, the living Word of God, the spoken and written Word that He's given us, and that's what we're to live by. And so if we're going to be healthy, it, it, it has to, our church has to be, and you individually and I individually, have to be strong in the Word. Rightly dividing the Word of truth. So this is a, it's like built upon Jesus, number one. And number two, and after these two this morning, there'll be some other, we're going to continue this, this series on a healthy church. And it doesn't, to me, I don't see a particular order, but these two I do believe are in order. It has to be established upon Jesus first. So we talked about that last week. We have to be sound biblically. I know I say it all the time, but that most are not, I can't say everything, but almost everything that I know about the Lord is from the Bible. Yes, I've had personal experiences with the Lord. And guess what? They line up with the Bible too. All right? But most of what we know about our Savior and certainly all His plans for us and the history, the creation of the world, everything we know from the Bible, we ought to cherish it. It's not something to collect dust. It's not something that, uh, oh, it's just a matter of particular phrasing or it's not that important as long as you love Jesus. You know, the Bible is not that significant. It's what we believe, y'all. When you hear the word doctrine, don't be afraid of it. I'm not saying you are, but it's like some people look at it as an archaic kind of word. Doctrine is simply means what we believe. Teaching. It means this is what we believe. It's truth. And it's the truth. The Bible says in the last days there will be people ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What Jesus said, the words I speak unto you, they're truth. Their spirit and their life and their truth. Okay? Their truth. And so, if the Bible is not something we can take it or leave it. Good sound doctrine is not something you can take it or leave it. I'll leave that up to my pastor. I'll leave that up to my parents. I'll leave that up to my Sunday school teacher. I'll leave it for the theologians. And we kind of roll our eyes, our eyes and maybe belittle, belittle it a little bit. No, it's for you. It's for me. If this church is going to be healthy... We have to be biblically strong. It's not take it or leave it. It's not diminish it. It's not exaggerate it. We don't compromise the Word of God. We don't blend it with worldly wisdom or the philosophies of men. We don't uh, choose the parts of it we like. You cannot do any of these things and still be right with the Lord. You can't. He is, he's laid the groundwork for this. And so the, the Bible says that... Uh, in Psalm 138, that the Lord has... I'll just read it to you. I wrote it down. I will worship toward thy holy temple, David says, and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. That's a pretty serious statement. You have magnified your word above all your name. And so, He has elevated it to that status. The Lord has done that. So we're not making too much of it when we say we need to know the Bible. We need to live biblically. We need to be biblically sound and, and uh, not just belittle it and so forth. What does the Word of God do for us? Uh, it, it keeps us from error. It keeps us in the truth. It is our standard to live by. 
Everybody has a standard to live by, even if they don't think they have a standard to live by. Everyone on this planet, lost people and saved people, even if they couldn't name what it is, everybody's living by some standard. They will vote for a candidate based on whatever standard that is. They will, they will do what or don't do what the people around them do, you know, socially or whatever, based on that standard. They'll do privately what they do and live the way they live privately when no one's watching based on whatever standard they have, okay? Everybody has a standard, and the Lord has to be our standard, and His Word has to be our standard to where it's not subject to change. It's not going to be different tomorrow. It is forever settled in heaven. And that's the way the Lord wants it to be. There's too many other things that are confusing in life. There's too many things in, in, in life that change and you are, are this way today and tomorrow they're that way. To have a rock, and Jesus is that rock, and to have His Word that will answer everything that comes along in your life. The Word of God will do that. There's not one thing you will face in your life, not one decision, not one question, nothing you will have that cannot be answered by the Word of God. It is there. It's our standard, y'all. It has to be our standard. It has to be the final authority in our life. The Word of God has to be. It cannot be, uh, but I really like this person. And Jesus loves them, and I need to love them. It needs to be, the standard has to be the Word of God. I'll give you an example, and I use it all the time. Somebody that's a Christian, and they... They befriend, let's say, a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship with an unbeliever, and they say, "Well, I want to. I, I think if I continue to date them, I can win them to Jesus." You're wrong. Jesus can win them to Jesus, and He might use you to win them to Jesus. But His word has already said, "Don't yoke yourselves unequally together with an unbeliever." So there's our standard. What's your standard? How you feel? And I think I can win them to Jesus if I keep dating them. If I break up, I might scare them away and they won't come to Jesus. You don't think God knows how to save them? Think He needs a dating relationship in order for them to be born again? Salvation is of the Lord. Share the Gospel with them. They either accept or reject. There has to be a standard by which we live by. It can't be all cloudy and sort of intermingled and so forth. It has to be the Word of God. It is described as a sword. They pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. You know what? It's able to do what nothing else can do. And so it can pierce through all that. It has to be our counselor. It has to be what we live by. It is our standard upon truth and error to, dis- to determine truth and error, right and wrong, of God, not of God. It's the Word of God. It's our standard for judgment. Do you know that Christians are to judge? I know you know that. We hear all the time, judge not, judge not, judge not. Don't judge. You're judging me. We absolutely are to judge. But we're to judge according to the Word of God. Okay? Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. With the same measure that you judge, it's going to be measured back to you. He goes on to say a little bit further in John 7, judge not after the appearance. Judge righteous judgment. He's telling us, judge righteous judgment. And then in 1 Corinthians, we read, Paul says, can you judge the least of these matters? Don't you know you're going to judge angels? As believers, you're going to judge angels one day? I don't understand all that perfectly. But I know that our standard for judgment is not going to be different for Dave and different for Peter and different for Maria. If we're believers, we ought to all be able to come to this. And what sayeth the Scriptures? And open it up and find out somebody's right and somebody's wrong. And guess what? 
And for whoever's wrong, there's mercy and forgiveness. And the other believers that were right need to be merciful and forgiving as well. Okay? But the judgment has to be there. Otherwise, we're going to have chaos. We're going to have chaos. Our church would be a three-ring circus. It would be everything goes. How do you feel today? Our very strong personality might end up ruling the whole thing and running it the way he wants to go or she wants it to go. But God's Word has to be our ultimate and final authority. Period. And I'm comfortable with that. You know what I'm saying? I'm glad of that. I may not even understand it all. You might understand something better than I do. But I'm still going to settle it. It's going to be settled right here. It's not going to be settled some other way. We're not going to arm wrestle over it. We're not going to see who's the most clever and the best at debating. Who's more passionate about it? Because you might get tears and I don't get tears when we're talking about it. It has to be the Word of God. Our final standard has to be that. It is gives us it's our guidance through life. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is... Um, Listen to this scripture. I love it. Dee wrote a song years and years ago uh, and recorded it. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. God's word is going to give us direction, how to put our next foot down and take our next step in life and how to raise our children, how to handle our finances and how to go out witnessing and how to deal with sin in my own life. How do I deal with sin in a brother's life? How do I pray? How do I, you know, whatever it may be, how to prepare, how am I prepared for the ministry? Whatever it may be, it's all going to be right here in the Word of God. You don't have, you know, I use commentaries, but I don't use them probably as much as you would think. I have, you, we have books, our house is filled with books, okay? <laughs> everywhere you look, they won't fit in the bookshelf, they're all stacked on top. They're everywhere, okay? And I have them, and sometimes I'll go to them. This is just me personally. I go to the Word of God and I go on my knees in prayer. And then when I'm stuck on something or I want a little more uh, maybe historical background on what was happening in you know, Samaria in that day or whatever, I can go to a concordance and see what God gave another man. And I might even read it and say, I don't agree with that. This particular guy was really knowledgeable in Scriptures and really knows the Word of God and is a believer. He, does, he thinks the gifts of the Spirit have passed away. You know, with the apostles. I don't agree with that. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to go to the Word of God. Spend your time in the Bible. I'm not opposed to commentaries. I'm saying let them be icing on the cake. Let them be a non-essential. All you really need is the Bible. And the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Truth. That's all you really need. And you don't have to be proficient in Greek and Hebrew. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm not against that. I look up definitions in the Hebrew all the time because I want to know what does this word mean. But even if I didn't have that, God can lead us by His Spirit in His Word. The entrance of thy word giveth light. That means the opening up of your word. That's what that means. Gives light. It gives understanding, spiritual understanding to who? The simple. That's all of us. Amen? And nobody as smart as we think we are, especially when it comes to the things of God. The entrance of His Word gives that light and that understanding. If we're going to be a healthy church, we've got to be biblical. We have to be sound. We have to all agree that whether we like it or not, or understand it or not, we can at least all agree that this will be our standard. It will be our standard. Our standard for judgment, for counseling, for everything else. You know, if we were all walking with the Lord, and let's say uh, 
I don't know, let's just say Damien, somebody came to Damien with a problem. And Damien, being a Christian, could use the Word of God to help them or to counsel them, right? If, if that same person came to me or to Sherry or Connie with the same problem, you know what? We ought to all be able to counsel them with the same Word of God. They shouldn't get total different counsel from Damien that they would get from Connie or Sherry. And it's happened before. It happens in churches before. It's not healthy. It's not of God. Somebody, When it comes to that kind of thing, somebody's right or somebody's wrong. And we can always come to this. And I gave the example about being not unequally yoked. What if some pastor said, yeah, I think you should continue dating that unbeliever. You know, and it sounds real good because aren't we called to be soul winners? And your heart is pure and you want to win them to Christ? And somebody else says, no. The simplest, the youngest believer could say, no way. It says in 2 Corinthians 6, they were not to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. The Bible says that. So however many pastors or counselors might say otherwise, however Christian they may make it sound and compassionate they may make it sound, the Word of God has already answered that. So you ought to be able to give them that counsel, and I should be able to give them that counsel. And it wouldn't be different, and they don't leave confused and say, well, Pastor Randy told me something, Peter told me something different. We ought to all give that same counsel from the Word of God. Amen? And counsel, you know, we need to counsel more than anybody is ourselves. We need to counsel ourselves from the Bible, from the Word of God, the rightly divided Word of God. And so we need to be walking in His Word. A man is born again by the Spirit of God. A man is sanctified by the Word of God. Jesus said at the last, that last supper when He was with His disciples, He said, Lord, Father, sanctify them by Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. We're sanctified by the Word of God. We're saved by the incorruptible Word of God. It lives and abides forever, the Bible says. And we're sanctified by it. We grow by it. But as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may what? Grow thereby. Do you see that if we're going to be a healthy church, we've got to grow. If we're going to grow, we need the Word. Not any old Word. Not my opinion of the Word. But the Word. As God intended it and is taught by the Holy Spirit. We are so blessed to have the best teacher ever, the Spirit of God Himself. He's not confused by it. Okay? And so He leads us into all truth. The Word of God keeps us safe from error. Rightly divided Word. Continuing the Word will keep us safe. We talked in Sunday school about the age in which we live, an age of deception. The Bible says in the latter days, the latter times, men, some shall depart from the faith. How did that happen? How is it going to happen? How is it happening? Because it's happening in our day. How were some departing from the faith? They were in the faith and they departed and walked away and left it. It tells us, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, teachings of devils. They're actually listening and heeding and giving ear to and credence to doctrines of devils. They don't think it's a doctrine of the devil, or they wouldn't have given heed to it. But they didn't know the Word of God, and they didn't continue enough for it. The Bible says we're to, we're to earnestly contend for the faith. It means you're in a fight, and I'm in a fight. If I'm earnestly contending... For the faith that was once delivered to the saints, there's one faith, one Bible, one truth, one Holy Spirit, one Savior, and I have to earnestly contend or fight for that. Because everything else wants to chip away at that. Everything else wants to pervert it. 
might not want to just totally overthrow it, although we know Satan wants to do that as well. But he wants to pervert it. He wants to twist it. He wants to, uh, he wants to get in there somehow and, and get us off a little bit. When people get off, you know where they get off they, in their Christian, in their faith? They get off doctrinally. And I'm not saying that's the only way, but people get off, they get off doctrinally. People depart from the faith, they depart from the faith doctrinally, typically. I think it's not the only way, but it even says here, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil. I've seen two things, and I don't always know which comes first. When I've seen people that have blatantly walked with, they, they so clearly walked with the Lord or maybe ministered unto the Lord, and then at some point they're off, like way off. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, I see it two things, and I don't like I said I don't know which comes first. Either their doctrine gets off, and they give heed to it, and they start believing something unbalanced or undoctrinal and unbiblical. Then they fall a lot of times into immorality or some kind of sin. You might think they have nothing to do with each other, but they do. A person can get off on the rapture and don't believe there's a rapture anymore and end up committing adultery. You say, well, how do those have anything to do with each other? They do. Because God's Word is that protection. It's that wall. And we need to rightly divide it and walk in it. Okay, like those walls that Nehemiah had rebuilt around the city uh, of Jerusalem. And so when somebody gets off doctrinally, then who knows where they're going to end up in their life. Or they can get off into immorality or some kind of sin, and it throws their doctrine off. Because they want to justify their immorality by saying God's a God of grace and mercy. And so instead of repenting and getting right with God, which they could well do, they want to change their doctrine to, to excuse their sin. It can happen either way, but it happens. When people get off, oftentimes they get off doctrinally. So we're protected by the Word of God. We're strengthened by the Word of God. Our faith is strengthened by the Word of God. Faith comes how? How does faith come? It doesn't just come because you want it and you sweat and grunt and hope more faith will come. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's how it comes. Okay? And Jesus rebuked those two men, those two of His disciples on their Emmaus Road on the resurrection morning, right? So He walked with them and said, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. And beginning of Moses and the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. And after He revealed Himself to them in the breaking of the bread and was departed and vanished out of their sight, they looked at each other and said, Wow, didn't our hearts burn within us while He expounded the Scriptures with us? Their faith was strengthened. They were built up by the Word. They didn't know it was Jesus. And yet they were strengthened by, by the Word of God that expounded unto them. And so our faith is strengthened. Latter days men are going to depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. You'll hear statements like, doctrine is divisive. You'll hear church groups, quasi-church groups and denominations in church and they'll say, oh, we got to throw down all those doctrinal differences. That's not true. We need to throw down any error that we have. Okay? And we do, do need to endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit, this, the unity that God by His Holy Spirit has created. But I'm not just going to throw down a doctrinal difference. You know why I have a doctrinal difference? Because I believe it's right. Amen. 
If you don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I do, and I believe the Bible teaches it, and I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it's biblical, and you don't believe it, I'm not going to throw down, down that doctrinal difference. I'm not going to hate them. You understand what I'm saying? Or if somebody doesn't believe in a trinity, for the trinity, I would say they're not saved. This is life eternal, that they know thee the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. We've got to know them. And so... Those doctrinal differences are there for a purpose, for a reason, okay? Now, if we just like, we think we should meet on Sundays and Wednesdays, and somebody else says, I think you should meet on Sunday nights and Thursday nights, and we're going to have a big argument over that, then that would be ridiculous. That wouldn't be glorifying the God. You understand what I'm saying? Somebody thinks we should sing old hymns only, and somebody thinks we should sing some contemporary songs and some hymns. I'm not going to break fellowship over that. It's not a doctrinal difference. Okay? And we ought not make it a doctrinal difference. We ought to, we ought to be able to walk with them. But the, the point is that there people say, oh, doctrine divides. And they mean it in a negative way. You people, you're Bible thumpers, your doctrine divides. Why don't you just loosen up a little bit, right? Relax a little bit. Rick Warren, you know, the purpose-driven... And uh, I don't just call out people to call out people for no reason, okay? But I remember years and years ago teaching on deception in the church and purpose-driven and things like this. Rick Warren has a little slogan. He's got a lot of little slogans. He says, in these last days, Jesus wants His church to be more, uh, less about creeds and more about deeds. Boy, it rhymes and it sounds good. And you could probably get an auditorium of... 3,000 people to clap and stand up and give a fist pump for something like that. Jesus wants His church to be less about creeds and more about deeds. But is that biblical? Is it true But just because He says it true? Is it true just because He has a big following and sells a lot of books? It's the Bible, less about creeds. He's saying it's less about doctrine. That's His way of saying it. It's going to be less and less about what we believe and our ten points of our doctrine and that doctrinal statement that we have as a church. It's going to be less and less about those things. Jesus wants His church to be more and more about doing and deeds. And every time somebody says something false, there's usually a measure of truth in it. That's what gets people. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But there's a measure of truth in it. Does God want us to be going and doing? Absolutely. Does He want us to take our Christianity outside of the walls of this church? Absolutely. But I know that He does because the Bible tells me so. Go into all the world. He's already given me my commission. I don't need to get it from Rick Warren. There, we're, going to tell, we're going to try to build up people's self-love, self-esteem, self-respect, self-forgiveness. I forgot there's six or seven of His self-things He wants to build up. Self, all of these things. The Bible doesn't say that. I'm going to be dead to myself. Let Christ live in me. In my flesh dwells no good thing. It ought not be about myself. So is it this way? Just because he has a big following, does that make it true? Because he's popular within churches, does that make it true? Does Jesus think that his church should be less concerned about what we believe and creeds? I don't think so. I don't think so. He just told me I'm going to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And guess what, y'all? If you and I will live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, I promise you we'll be going and doing. We'll be touching a lost world. We'll be touching our Christian brothers and sisters. We'll be helping them when they're cold, put a coat on their back, and giving water to the thirsty. We'll be doing that. But we'll be doing it rightly. 
Not as, as the goal itself or the end itself, but to bring them Jesus Christ. And, and so we walk in the Word of God. I want to look at a couple of Scriptures here, y'all. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm sorry, did I say 1 Corinthians? 1 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to kind of skip around. We'll start in verse 6. And this is just a sample, okay? There's so much, especially that Paul writes to Timothy in 1 and 2 Timothy. Look at 1 Corinthians, I mean 1 Timothy 4 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of a good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So he's telling his young disciple pastor, Timothy, that was already saved, okay? Paul brings him under his wings, disciples him. God calls him to be the pastor, Timothy, the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And he's young. And it can be overwhelming. And Paul's encouraging him. And he says, do you put the brethren in remembrance of this? And, and it's going to this uh, nourished up in the words of faith and a good doctrine. Skip down to verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. How? In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Alright, and let's look. Uh, we'll keep reading. Till I come, give attendance to what? Reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. He doesn't say give attendance to going out and feeding the poor. That will come. That will come out of this. Healthy Christian is going to rightly know God's heart and be filled with the Spirit and walk in the ways God's called us to. So we have to be healthy Christians and as a church. Uh, neglect not the gift that was that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy by the laying on the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy prophecy may appear to all. Last verse. Take heed unto thyself and unto thy doctrine. Well, we're having people tell us it's less in the last days especially, it'll be less and less about what we believe. God's not that concerned about what we believe. And that, that doctrine's so divisive. And here he says, Take heed unto thyself and to thy doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Amen? It's important. It's important what we believe. If we're going to be a healthy church, we have to be biblical. And so, does, is God's Word divisive? Does it divide? It absolutely does. It does. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And He says that God separated the light from the darkness. Right at the beginning, the first day of creation. He wants it to be separated. The Word of God does that. It separates morality you know, from immorality, light from darkness, truth from error, what's of God and what's not of God. It separates it. The Word of God does that. And so it is absolutely divisive. There are scriptures like where Jesus said, uh, He said, if you believe not that I am He, you'll, pair, you'll die in your sins. And there's a period there. Is that pretty divisive? If you don't believe that I am He, I'm the, the one that was to come, the Savior, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. If you don't believe that I, that's talking to you people right now, if you don't believe that I'm Him and He, you're going to die in your sins. You won't be forgiven. You won't be saved. You're going to go to hell. Is that divisive? You better believe it. Is it helpful? Yes. It's needed. Okay? So God's Word is divisive. We don't have to make it more harsh than it is or try to water it down some way to make it more uh, suitable to people either. Preach the Word, Paul told Timothy. 
it's going to come time, he said, the last chapter, the last book that Paul wrote before he was beheaded, and he knew he was going to be beheaded. He said, the time of my departure is at hand, right? He said, Paul, Timothy, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. The time will come when they don't endure sound doctrine. But will heap unto themselves teachers, have an itch in the ears, and they'll turn their ears from the truth, and they will be turned unto fables. That's the only other option. If I'm turning my ear from the truth, I'm doing that as an act of my will. I don't want to hear that truth anymore. I'm tired of it. It's boring to me. It's old. It's unpopular now. None of my friends believe it anymore. This is a whole lot more excitement and things going on over here. And I turn my ears from the truth. I will be turned unto fables. Because that's all that's left when we leave the Word of God. We have to stay grounded and rooted in the truth. It is divisive, but it's supposed to be. But it's not exclude. Uh, what's the word? Where you shut somebody out. Uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. It, it's it's not uh, mean spirited, and it's not segregated in the sense that it wants to keep certain people out. The bro- the road is broad. The gate is wide. I mean, I'm sorry, it's narrow, but it's wide enough for all that'll come. It's a narrow road, it's a narrow gate, but it's wide enough for whosoever will. But we have to come that way. We have to come to Christ that way. We have to continue in Christ that way. So God's Word um, reveals Jesus to us. And there's safety there. And we can't rightly say, I really love the Lord, and I really love, you know, walk with God, but I don't love His Word. I know I say that all the time too. You cannot really mean that. Something's not lining up. I really love Jesus. Me and Jesus are tight. I'm very spiritual. Okay? But I don't know the Word. don't care to know the Word. You cannot. Because He loves it. He gave it to us. He told us to live in it. We've had brothers and sisters that we've never met before. Tyndale and Wycliffe and others that gave their lives blood to fit in this word right here so we could be here in 2017 freely reading it in our home. They knew the importance of it. And God raised those men up for that time. And I'm so thankful for it. We can't say I rightly um, walk with God, but I don't walk in His Word. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I walk with the Lord every day. But they don't but they don't walk in the Word. You can't say that you um, you know are close to the Lord and, and walking out your Christianity and not walking in His Word. It has to be a biblically founded, grounded walk in life and worship. Everything we do has to be biblical. And that's where we need to find our answers from. A couple more scriptures, then I want to share one more. Uh, main thought before we close but Jesus said to the Pharisees he says if you continue in my word then you'll to the Jews it says as he spoke these words many believed on him he's speaking to Jews at that time then he said to the Jews that believed on him so they've already said we believe we believed on him he says if you continue in my word then are you my will you be my disciples okay and the truth's going to make you free. He says, if you continue in my word, Jesus said, search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. 
For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of Me. The Word of God is going to testify of Jesus Christ. Always, always, always. And it, it will always lead us to Christ. And the Holy Spirit will always lead us to Christ. Now I want to I give a few of these. I, just, I know that I just want to take just a few minutes to do this. I wanted to list some signs, I guess you would say, of how a church, a good church, can move off. Okay? How can a good church move off into something that's not good? Right? And every church, this church could. Alright? We're not perfect. God's perfect. But we don't want to. We can help hold ourselves accountable. And we can look at the key ingredients of a healthy church founded upon Christ and biblically sound. Okay? Churches can hold, get off when they begin to hold to what I would call a pet doctrine. They can begin to overemphasize one particular area of doctrine over others. And what makes it so effective, not in a good way, but in effective in moving a church out of healthy doctrine and into error, what makes it effective is so much of what they say is true. So much of what they say is true. And they, they get out of balance. They get out of balance. And there is an agenda to it. There's a real agenda to it. It's not just, oh, this is some accidental weird thing and did it for two weeks and what was I thinking? There's a plan. There's an agenda. And a healthy church needs to see that. You know, the Bible says, uh, calls believers. Not just the pastor or the associate pastor. The Bible calls believers priests, that He's made us kings and priests unto our God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That's not meaning that we have the office of a pastor. It is meaning there is an individual sovereign walk that I have with God and an authority that I have as a believer. That if Billy Graham or somebody is preaching something false, I don't have to just cower down to it and say, well, that's Billy Graham. That, that's Rick Warren. Look at the, he's been a seminary. Look at all the people that follow him and just cower down. I have the Holy Ghost in me. And I have a, a measure of authority that God's given me that expects me to walk in and to exercise. I'm not talking about disrespectful. I'm not talking about out of order. I'm talking about standing firm and standing for what you know to be true. There's the priesthood of the believer. And we need to walk in that. And that's one way that God keeps a church from going off the air. If we would function in that, then we could help hold, help hold each other accountable in sound doctrine. Rather than just saying, well, that's pastor so-and-so, and then they know the Bible better than me, and they've been pastoring for a lot of times, and look how popular they are and how many people love them, and how many people are saying amen when he or she preaches, and how many people buy their books, and I'm just a little old me, and what do I know? I must be wrong. And then we cower down, we back down, and God say, no, stand up. You have the Word of God. And you're not the pastor, but you know that that's not right. Talk to Him. Deal with it. You understand what I'm saying? That When we don't do that, then we just are easily moved on off. And again, it's an out of balance. It's not necessarily a false doctrine. It could be out of balance. It's elevating one thing above others. And then actually identifying yourself with that thing. 
In other words, I'm going to pick grace. If we elevated grace, is grace a wonderful thing and is it biblical? Absolutely. Can we preach and teach on it? Is it interwoven in all of our faith, in our Christianity, in everything we do? Absolutely. You couldn't talk too much about it in one sense, but you know what you could do with grace? You could exaggerate to where it's something that the Bible doesn't say it is. You could take grace and make it something that it's not. And so this is where people can get out of balance. And this is how a church can become a cult. A church can become a cult. It places emphasis on one particular part of doctrine. And then, guess what? It identifies itself with that. We're the church of grace. They aren't. We're this. They're not. Who are they talking about? They're talking about other Christians. We're this. But they're not. This is how a church can become a cult. Even saying a lot of things that are true and truth. We're grace. They're not. They're Pharisees. They're legalistic. We're not. We're the church of grace. They're grace haters. Well, if somebody comes and brings a reproof or a correction to that minister or to that church, then they are considered a grace hater. They label them. That's another way a church can become a cult. They don't deal with the substance of the argument. Can we talk about, you said this in your sermon, Pastor, and this is what the Bible says, and and you didn't say what the Bible says about that. So what is the church that's moving off into the cult? One of the ways they become a cult is they don't receive that. They rather criticize and demonize you and say you're divisive and you're uh, this and label you and mark you and tell people to be cautious of you. Look out for this guy. He's stirring up trouble. Rather, but he never dealt with the problem. We came to him with the Scripture saying what you said in your sermon was incorrect. Can we look at the Scriptures and look at it? They never once get to that. They get to you, though, and your problem. And so people hear that and they learn of it and they, they're even more scared to say something. This is how a healthy church can move off and even if the doctrine itself is basically correct, they can elevate something to a place it shouldn't be. And it happens gradually, y'all. It happens gradually. It happens over time. The church becomes more authoritative and, and so forth. And uh, one, I don't remember who it was. Somebody had sent me uh, a long time ago some sermons, a little five, six-minute teachings, okay, on, on the Internet about like six six-part series on how a church can become a cult. And it's like it was just confirmation of things that I already knew, that I have seen in my own life over over years. But people can become more almost addicted to the church as opposed to the truth and to the Word of God. And it looks like, wow, they're just really fervent. They're just really... They're at church all the time. You know what? And this sounds funny coming from a pastor who just preached, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. But you know what? This church is not your God. And if this church got so busy to where you didn't have time to go visit your grandmother or go have a Bible study in your home or go visit somebody sick in the hospital or have some family night with your family, now, if you didn't have time for that because I can't, I can't go see, I hadn't seen my grandmother or my mother-in-law in 
you know, the last 10 months because our church is so busy, but we're doing great things for God. Something's out of balance. If every minute of every day and every night has to be centered around that church building and organized events of the church, there's a problem. We are trying in this early church, I so want to be led by the Lord. Pray for us. Pray for this church that I don't want to fill up our calendar just to fill it up. At the same time, I don't want to be lazy and neglect something that God would have us to do under the pretense that we don't want to be too busy. I want to be led by God. Okay? But you understand my point of that. Anything can be elevated. A good thing can be elevated to something. Another way you can tell if the church is becoming a cult, and I mentioned it a little bit, how do they handle criticism? They circle the wagons. They get in tight. It's us against them. Again, they demonize everybody else that doesn't agree with what they agree with and start labeling. They can't tolerate criticism. I forgot who I was just talking to, but if, if uh, somebody just yesterday uh, dealing with some issues like this, and I said, you know what? If, 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 if let's say that Chris is accused of something horrible that he didn't do. He's a Christian, and he's accused of something horrible, and people start talking about it. Some unchristian thing. If he knows he's right and innocent of that thing, do you think he's going to want more light shine on that or less? He's going to want more of that. Hey, come examine me. Expose me. I'll be glad to. Paul said, I'm glad to speak for myself today. He said before Felix or Agrippa, one of them, like, you know, I think I'm happy that I can share my side of the story now. Not going to, he's not going to hate more light being shined on it. He's going to want it because it's going to vindicate him and his God and his testimonies walk with the Lord. And so, but we see when, it's, when the church is becoming cult-like, they don't want the criticism. And they cut it off. They won't let anybody criticize them. They demonize them. The problem's with them. They'll never get to the issue and talk about it. They don't want it exposed. And so that th- these are things that we just have to, to watch out from. Who did you hear that from? Somebody comes and brings a, a criticism to a church or pastor or whatever. They don't want to know what substance of it. They don't say, who told you that? Oh, well, so that, they told you that? Well, that person, they're a liar. You can't trust them in the first place. See what I'm saying? That's not dealing with the rapture. Is it a pre-trib or whatever criticism you might have brought to them or the scripture you brought with them? They would rather just whitewash the whole thing. We have to be careful. It's... it's um, it's something we have to watch out from, and I'm saying that for our church. I'm not saying that to point the finger at another church. I'm saying that it can happen. It doesn't have to happen. And I'm not living in fear that it will happen. I'm not going to get up every day worried that it's going to happen. But I know that if we'll continue in the sound doctrine, like he said, we'll save ourselves and then they hear us. And that's what the Bible says. We want to hold each other accountable, okay? Hold each other accountable. And so, can I tell you all this, and we're about to close, but it's not, we're talking about having a healthy church, and I want it to be this church, okay? That it's not a sin to question things. It's not a sin to go up and investigate something, or to look into something. That's not a sin. It's not unbiblical. But there is a biblical way to do it, right? I mean, there's a right way to do it. And we want to do that. We would like say Alberto preached and. And, and somebody just blasts him like that was you know right in the middle of his preaching or something. Um, 
there's a way you might want to go if you misunderstood something or didn't hear it right or questioned something to go up to him privately afterwards and find out okay or me or whoever nobody's bigger than too big for their britches so to speak we have to be approachable not to say that but to be that it's easy to say that oh i'm open anybody can come talk to me anytime i'm so approachable y'all hold me accountable then you go try it one time and see what happens Okay, we need to really be approachable. And they might be totally, the criticism may be wrong. There's still a way to bring the criticism. There's still a way to receive it. Okay, and we have to be able to do that, y'all. We have to. And so um, I just want to really just close with a few thoughts here that we ought not complicate it. We ought not make doctrine so complicated. We ought to just let read through the Bible and let the Holy Ghost teach us. And don't be influenced by a bunch of other influences. Let the Lord teach us. It's profound, but it's simple at the same time. Does that make sense? It's profound in order the depths of it. Where Paul says, oh, the depths and the riches of His grace. He couldn't, it's unsearchable and so forth. He was blown away by the depth of it. But at the same time, it's simple in the sense that the newest little believer can understand it and lay hold of it. And they'll grow in that. They'll grow deeper in that, but they won't grow different in that. And so keep it simple and preach the Word and don't put a question mark in your own mind or your own theology where God put a period. Don't put a question mark where God put a period. A lot of things I do question don't understand, but don't question His Word. Satan came as the serpent to Eve in the garden and said, Yea, hath God said, Thou shalt not eat of all the, the, the fruit of the trees in the garden? Question mark. Has God really said that? It wasn't a question mark there. God said, Of all the fruits of the trees of the garden you may eat, but of the tree that's in the midst of the garden thou shalt not eat of it. From the day that thou eatest eat thereof thou shalt surely die. Period. No question mark. Eat of all the trees except that one. If you eat of that one, you're going to die. <coughs> Yea, hath God said? Don't put a question mark where God put a period. That will solve a lot of your things in, in your life and in my life as well. Walk this thing out and, and trust God. And where you don't understand, trust Him to give you understanding. You might go years and something this you never quite settled. You know, how, how, what about babies that are aborted? Are they going to heaven? And, you know, I have, a, I have a scripture I could show you for that where I believe that they are, okay? But let's just say you just wrestled with that for years and years. Or what about people in Peru in the jungles in the Amazon that never heard the gospel? Is God right to send them to hell? I have scriptures I think I could show you that would answer that for you. But my point is, if it troubles you, some pray about it. Don't get bitter at God. Don't throw the whole thing in. Don't get off on your doctrine because you haven't got an answer to that thing yet. Pray until He gives you an answer. Put it on the shelf. Okay? That's what I'd say to myself. Put it on the shelf. I've forgotten about it, but I can go on and walk in a healthy manner with my Savior. Okay? And I put that on the shelf. And when He's ready to show me, He'll show me. But I can trust Him in the meantime doesn't mean it's not true simply because I don't understand it completely in my little peanut brain. Okay? God will show me. And 
Uh, last scripture I'll read. Turn here, and we're going to close with this. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, you probably could quote it, verse 14. Again, last few paragraphs that Paul wrote before he was martyred for the Lord. 2 Timothy 3, 14. He's telling Timothy, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Continue, continue, continue. In what? The doctrine, the things you've learned. Don't deviate from it. Don't stray from it. I know people that used to believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and were baptized in the Holy Spirit and went off to seminary and now they don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit anymore. And they themselves were baptized in the Holy Ghost. I know people that used to believe in a pre-trib rapture and went off to seminary or some other place with a bunch of real smart intellectual clergymen and came away not believing it. I know people that didn't believe in Calvinism at all and they get around a certain group of people on the LSU campus or whatever and they come away a Calvinist. Continue in the things that you've learned, the simplicity of the Gospel. And, and then from a child, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, Old and New Testament, is given by inspiration of God. Literally, God breathed. And it's the same when, when the Bible says God formed man of the dust of the earth and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. That's the same thing. It's inspiration of God. Okay? And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, that's the believer, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I'm going to close with that scripture. You can come. But I want us to just... Think about it, that we're going to continue it in the Word. And if our church is going to be healthy, it has to be biblically sound. Don't let that just be something that you think is just boring or divisive or whatever it may be. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Love His Word. The words I speak, their spirit and their life. And y'all, let's take a few minutes at the altar here. I remember Clinton and uh, shared a story where after he got saved and the Lord, Lord called him to ministry and the old pastor that he sat under at the time was one of these old school wonderful preachers, Pentecostal preachers that preached to him. And the man was ordaining him and at his ordination service put his hands on his head and the church is praying and this old pastor is praying for him and Clinton's down on his knees and the preacher said, God, if he ever quits preaching the truth, kill him. <laughs> You know, that's something you would you would think about. But you know what? I say amen to that. Amen. I say amen to that. If you ever quits preaching the truth, kill him. And so we want to continue. God would have us to continue in the word of God. And and let's thank him for the for the word. And let's pray for our church. Pray for this church. Pray for other churches. We're not something unique that could we could this couldn't happen to us as far as being deceived or, or getting off. And think about the priesthood of the believer, your responsibility, not only your privilege, but your responsibility to function in that manner. You have to know the Word of God. How are you going to rightly counsel somebody or come to your pastor with a question or concern about something from the pulpit or f from a Sunday school class or whatever if we ourselves are not men and women of the Word, led by the Spirit of God, in the Word of God. Amen? We need to be that. We want to be a healthy church. So Father, we just...